Polestar. Sustainability as an inner precept. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Deer. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Our guest today is Thomas Ingelard. Thomas Ingelard is CEO at Polestar. Thomas, with your impressive career in the automotive industry, you don't really need an introduction. But let me just mention a few milestones of your journey and tell our listeners how it all began. You have your background in transportation and car design. You were design director at Skoda for six years, then head of Volkswagen Design Center in Potsdam in Germany. And then you joined Volvo in July 2012 as senior vice president for design. For almost three years, you have been in this dual role as chief design officer at Volvo Cars and as CEO at Polestar. And very briefly about Polestar before we start. Polestar is an automotive brand jointly owned by Volvo Cars Group and its parent company, Gilly. It is headquartered in Gothenburg, Sweden, with production taking place in Western China. You position yourself on your website as a design-focused electric performance car brand, harnessing refined performance and cutting-edge technology. It is about more than just building cars with a cool design. You want to change to improve the society we live in. You're going the way of a sustainable avant-garde electric mobility, where the used electricity as well as all materials processes should be produced in a sustainable way. This means, of course, that you integrate circular economy and ethical and responsible way of doing business. So much for the introduction. Now let's talk about developments in the automotive industry innovative sustainability, higher purpose of Polestar, courage to be different, business corporations and leadership. What many people don't realize is that Polestar is not quite as young as one might think. The origins of the company can be traced back to the foundation of Flash Engineering in 1996, a Swedish racing team that participated in the Swedish Touring Car Championship. The team was later sold and renamed Polestar Racing and began developing their own racing forward cars. A lot has happened in the meantime for brand Polestar as well as for the society we live in. Now we are writing the year 2020. What does Polestar stand for now? What is your vision? What is the higher purpose for your work? Yeah, something completely different. We made a 180 degree turn three years ago making sure that each and everybody in the company understands that it's not racetrack anymore. It's not a tuning, ship tuning Volvos anymore primarily. It is an electric car company. Our dedication is the shift towards sustainable mobility. Every teeny tiny little bit of energy wherever it is we will strive for making this a successful electric car company what remains and what the origins of the company still mean to us is that mentality of a 
team involved in racing working from one weekend to the other weekend to improve, to make things better in a short sprint, very much like a startup company has as a working principle as well. So for that aspect, that is totally valid still as a mindset and the performance, a team performing on high quality and high output. Yes, that is very much valid for us as well. And of course, our cars are dedicated to somebody who enjoys the drive of a car, the direct feedback of the elements, the brakes, the wheels, and that type of dynamic drive that uh, a sporty car can give you. But very much, uh, as I said in the beginning, it is um, the strive towards sustainable mobility, which is the purpose and the meaning of today's Polestar. Thomas, Volvo Cars Company also stands for sustainability, for electrification to do good for our planet. It also stands for premium quality. How do you manage to take advantage of the, let's call it, Volvo heritage, such as existing supply chain and manufacturing know-how, and still position as brands, Volvo and Polestar, far and well enough from one another? Or is it perhaps strategically not even the desire to position itself as an independent brand? Yeah, this is, of course, um, the main secret, the main recipe of a group building an industrial economic foundation on which different brands can stand. The brands have to have that distinction, their own profile and technology and Production processes, uh, logistic uh, flows can be shared for the benefit of economic economy of scale. We have obviously um, the advantage of building, let's say, Postal 2 in a factory where the technology of CMA, which is the very origin of the Postal 2's technology, is installed. So we do not have to build a new factory. Our customers can rely on spare parts being available throughout the world because logistic for that, warehouses for that is existing in the group. So this is, of course, a, the, the main recipe of a successful Polestar, being different where it matters for the customer, doing new things where it is for a startup able to be fast and implement new, new elements and new ways of working. But at the same time, using the existing facilities, existing systems where you can have um, big economic savings and rely on, on, on great developed infrastructure. That mixture really makes um, the startup Polestar different to any other startup, not having to build everything from scratch, but concentrate on those things that matter. As I said in the introduction, Polestar is jointly owned by Volvo Car Group and its parent company, Gili. How do you organize knowledge transfer between the companies? Yeah, this, that happens um, on two levels. <laughs> One would be the implemented structural way where you, through um, common projects, common um, agreed 
joint joint technology basis just simply develop the best uh, out of the out of the best knowledge from both companies um, looking into you know before you build something new does it exist already um, on the other side and of course using it in that case we indeed I mean I can say are a bit cheeky here on poster side because indeed we of course um, can And, and you could call it cherry pick and look at left and right and see, you know, what's existing on both uh, uh, end of the world and just simply try to get the best uh, the, the best basket for our customer together. And we very much do that when we look into developing our new products. And there's another effect and that is a more, you know, psychology behind it because, of course, this type of um, different brands in a group creates competition and competition can be a very healthy element and of course it drives to um, peak performance if you have um, the different brands trying to really be be the star amongst the group um, that's again big benefit for the customer you do not rest in you know the harmony of you just not not knowing Uh, just just being on your island, you actually indeed are um, chased every day by um, the other brands uh, working and uh, trying trying to 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 do the best within the group and be the star. So here, especially with our name Polestar, we are of course full in the in in the race and try to do justice to our name and indeed come with uh, with the peak products. Even if you don't have to overcome the challenges of the financing rounds like real startups, you do have some elements of a startup. You have your own headquarters building, an independent small team of engineers, designers, executives, marketing and communication managers, and so on and so forth. What are the advantages of this startup feeling and how does it affect the company culture? Living and working in our poster environment um It's very clear that this is not just a fancy, um, you know, slogan to say we are a startup. We are an incredible small group. If you look at what we are doing um, to build a new car company, um, going to three different markets and all in all being still below thousand people doing that all is rather um, amazing on one hand. It's as well high stress load for everybody, high speed, and um, as well, the joy of doing something that shows quick results and inspires and gives you the new energy. That all is very much startup mentality. Um, but what is, of course, the whole purpose of, of, of doing it that way? You can, as a startup, try new things that would take very very long time to implement and to even decide on and and, and get through certain decision uh, ways in a, in a big established OEM it might be even impossible to do certain things because of the legacy of developed uh, things over decades so here we can go ahead and try new things in especially in the way how we interact with the customer that is probably the biggest difference having direct customer business and very much building on the digital e-commerce uh, way but it goes as well into things like um, you know 
designing a car configurator that does not give you millions of options, but really the, the beauty and the help of being a very simple and easy way of configurating a car. Um, so from, from the big commercial decisions to the very detailed elements um, of how you compose a car, as in a startup situation, you can just simply try things uh, very fast and, and do it in a new way. You have as well not the idea about everything is discussed and solved and clear ahead when you make a decision. You make a decision, you know that that is probably the direction that that will lead to success. It's not guaranteed. And you have to solve along the way all the problems coming. Um, going for something where you do not know yet how you solve each and every part is what a startup has to dare to do and to do it along the way. Um, therefore, our organization is changing very, very rapidly. Um, every half a year in a way there is a new poster because we have to adapt the departments, the people working on different projects really very quickly according to the new constellation, the new tasks. So um, that kind of flexibility and adapting to change and being open for change even within the company structure is, is a very crucial element of that startup mentality. So anybody who does not like that type of, you know, being flexible, being adapting to new challenges, um, rather go and work for a big company where you have your peace. Polestar brand stands for the pure, minimalist Scandinavian design. Well, the aesthetic perception differs greatly depending on whether you are in Europe, Asia or anywhere else in the world. What is the acceptance of Scandinavian design, especially in Asian markets? Scandinavian design is a worldwide accepted um, and cherished design direction. Of course, that is so much about our uh, the core and the soul of Polestar, the element of breathing that type of purity of Scandinavian design, not just through our products, but through the whole brand, wherever you touch and feel the brand, you can feel that. We are challenged in a way because it's it's so popular that, that we have to claim that as our home turf. Um, but indeed, in Europe, that is, that, that is such a natural understanding. In the US, it's a very, very clear statement that is maybe in contrast to, 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 the, to the design direction that especially US brands have. But there people very much take it as a European choice and go for that. In Asia, it is something that indeed is developing. That is an element that is very different to the mainstream. But that's our position. If you choose a Polestar, you deliberately don't go for the mainstream. You go for the avant-garde. You go for the leading element. And that is what clearly is our promise, our, our mission. We are proclaiming um, not what was a trend yesterday or today, but what is a trend tomorrow. And I think that is what people understand and that is why they choose Polestar. The biggest trend in the automotive industry at the moment is definitely electrification. 
either because it is rooted in the brand DNA, like at Polestar, or because it is driven by restrictions imposed by the state. Anyway, what is still missing? What must be done and implemented to give electrification an even stronger boost? For electrification to become really that that much of a driving force and a big change from combustion uh, engine to electrification, you have to, that momentum has to really get now in, into a swing. And that's where three parties really have to push now. One, and that's looking into the mirror, the industry, we have to do our homework. We just simply have to come with, with an offer that is tempting, exciting, a real alternative. And that, of course, is not done with just having, you know, one car in your portfolio that fulfills it. If you, as an OEM, seriously want to push that, you have to do more than just have that one electric car in your product range. You have to clearly do a commitment of of, of being 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 there to swap as fast as possible from the past, the combustion engine into the electric range and making clear to the customer that that is where, where you see the future and where, where you put your money in terms of investment and everything. So full, full-hearted commitment to it and not just this alibi type of thing. I can see that the industry in big parts is on its way It's still quite a quite a job from from saying something to doing, um, but let's let's see how much this product portfolio is coming. Twenty one definitely will be already much much richer than let's say two years ago. Polestar two adds now an incredible great element in this kind of premium segment between fourteen sixty thousand euro. So with just putting one car there, we double the the amount of cars that are at all available in an electric range there. So that's that's the one part that has to um, really get going. The second part is the, the politicians really have to f set the frame that makes electrification for consumers usable and possible with infrastructure, especially charging, that would be not only along the highways, but as well in the town centers for people that do not have the luxury and comfort to, to charge in front of your own house, but for people that live uh, in, 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 in flats to have the right to install charging, have the possibility to have a fast charger close by where you go once per week. Um, the, in, the industry can do lots of things, but that is definitely a task that has to be much more supported and driven by the politicians. And last but not least, despite all the knowledge and all the awareness about climate change, um, the public has to really act now upon it. And you can do something if you want to want to improve on a, on a global level. What you have to do is start with your personal life, which means look into your own way of living. And one big, big part of your contribution to CO2, obviously, is mobility, your personal mobility. Running an electric car, best way to charge it with the solar panels on your roof. Wow, that has a big effect on your personal CO2 bilance. So really, um, the con private consumer has to face that the, the responsibility that you have as an individual and really go for it and um, 
use what what is available today you can you can indeed do a big big contribution with uh, changing to an electric car so all three parties have to do their bit now um, I think never ever before we had such a clear understanding that that is a necessary thing it's now going into action and and just doing it it is a fundamental trend in the automotive industry that every next model contains more and more software the user experience and user interface also play a central role at poster how important is software development now compared to mechanical development Yeah, the importance of uh, software. I mean, yeah, naturally, you mentioned the user experience, the user interface, and that's where um, naturally everybody understands that. So that's where software is playing an incredible big role. But let me tell you, even in the very basic, ordinary experience of just driving a car, the software that really deep down operates and and harmonize and links all this even mechanical system even that is by today now the 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 key of everything i drive a car same a test of the prototype same physics everything all the mechanical pieces same with one software development stage and it it feels still very raw and really not a not a refined good experience um Two weeks later, with a different software, same car, and it feels like, wow, matured and, and really great soft drive and everything feels like uh, it's, 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 it's ha harmonized. Software already at that stage, you know, makes a difference between a car feeling like a, a very rough early prototype and something that is close to uh, production. It's, it's really very much um, in, in, in just one software release. For that reason, I mean, obviously the R&D and the whole development of a car has shifted over the last 10 years heavily into paying big tribute to that, having much, much more workforce in-house as well, capabilities in-house to run this, coordinate this, refine this. And um, yeah, what is... Um, What what is the latest thing that we do um, with a with a car development is of course doing doing the last updates and knowing as well and this is a fact as well that a car that we have now on the way to the customer with a good great development status we know that we can still evolve it work on it get functionality that will be develop maybe even we don't know today what kind of great functionality there will be possible in six months we can keep a car that we sell today updated and fresh and implement new things um, even months after it has uh, left our hands and is in the hands of the customer via over-the-air updates i mean that is a great thing about software and what it enables for for the customer in the future What other trends and developments do you see in the automotive industry? We had quite a big hype around autonomous drive, let's say three years ago, from this very big hype in the beginning and the, the idea of, wow, um, the self-driving car is just around the corner, um, obviously, There was a little bit of a cool cooling down phase, and um, 
we all understand that that is not quite as easy and fast um, to implement into the today's traffic. But one has to, of course, understand that nevertheless this development is happening, it's coming. And around the middle of this century, indeed, we will see a great improvement in the private cars in terms of what additional comfort features they will offer with elements of autonomous driving. And of course, we will see indeed, finally, mobility services that will be based on an autonomous drive uh, vehicle offering A to Z journey within certain um, metropoles and offering mobility services that are, um, yeah, you, you saw in, in some nice animations and futuristic f movies, but uh, which will be then available. So that is definitely something that will change a bit the, um, the, the, the light of, of cars and mobility over the next five years. We have as well a big trend towards, yeah, you could call it simplification. The idea that car has to be in the ownership and the use and in the um, in, in the great modern functionality that it has, that it should be a car that would work without a manual, without a big explanation, without you getting into a, a, a school for pilots. It needs to be something that is much more usable as an intuitive uh, device. Thomas, were some developments in the automotive business surprising for you? Are there also trends and developments that maybe cause you even headaches? Well, that's a tough one. Was anything surprising? <laughs> I wish so. <laughs> I guess living now for 25 years, the life of a car designer that really basically permanently in the terms of, you know, knowing what's coming, the trends being being in the, in, in the world that is five years ahead, there's very, very little surprise coming because, of course, you either have smelled it, seen it, or, I mean, it's, it's, that's our profession to not be surprised. <laughs> um, so for that reason, it's, it's very difficult for me to, 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 to list anything that was surprising, really. If anything was surprising is then that things that didn't happen, things that took that long when you felt like, come on, that should have happened already. So that's where I, I might have been surprised about things being, being not quite as fast I would have, as I would have imagined it. When we were talking about um, touch screens, for example, and yeah, the world was already with um, mobile phones that, that had lost all the buttons. And Still in the car industry, we're, we were discussing that a touchscreen, oh, maybe that's not acceptable because you would have uh, greasy fingerprints on it and it would be too, too complicated. Whatever reason there was not to, not to understand that a touchscreen isn't ideal or is a good, I mean, it's not, not the best because Voice recognition certainly can do a safer job in the car, but the touchscreen certainly was and is a good device to kind of um, be, be better than having 150 buttons in the car. Still then we were discussing rather a Drehdrücksteller, you know, a device that would, 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 would move a cursor on that screen rather than using your finger. That was a surprise that that, that took so long 
for the car industry to understand that touchscreen is is the next step. Let's talk about the development from Posta 1, via Posta 2, to Posta Precept, which is your latest concept car. Precept is very innovative in the technology, in the used materials, but also brave in the design and especially in the interaction between technical features and design. Would you like to explain to us what each model in the Polsta Evolution line stands for and why each of the intermediate steps was or is important and right in its time? Well, Precept we created because you need a vision. You need a vision for yourself and you need a vision for the people outside looking at your company. Internally, you have to define that the path had to really always have that internal guiding star and precept very much is that for us it defines three areas that um that matter to us it's about where we want to go from a design perspective in terms of defining our own standing as a brand design it defines the topic in sustainability where we want to make sure It is not done and all all described with being an electric car brand. It is about having from A to Z a company that embraces the aspect of sustainability, bringing materials into the car that will reduce the CO2 footprint, that will be more healthy, uh, more um, circular, um, and, and, and bring that next dimension to the car industry into the focus and into the limelight. And then last but not least, the digital journey, having brought now with the poster to the Android system into the car, what kind of big play field options that offers for the future and some of it we explore in Precept. That was as well for the outside important to see, getting a bit more of a complete picture what the brand poster stands for, especially And I've come now to the other two products that you know, the poster one and two, since the one and two, obviously for a startup brand were the first steps, are the first steps, and they do not deliver a complete picture yet. So poster one, defining our brand as a premium brand with a positioning that obviously embraces high degree of refinement, high degree of technical perfection, really was that type of low volume collector's item um, shining star out there poster 2 does the complete opposite it basically defines the the ground we are standing on it is with a electric car our first purely battery electric car that is clearly our future we will have um, with poster 2 that kind of level where With 40 to 60,000 euros, we do the entry step into the brand. And the precept then shows the way how between a poster one and a poster two, in that range between those two, we will explore and develop the brand with more products to come. You recently announced a very important collaboration with Waymo in the field of autonomous driving. It is exciting to see this development as some OEMs tend to distance themselves from it. So is Posta fully committed to autonomous driving? And another related question, how much will the development and the implementation of autonomous driving technology influence the design and strategy of Posta in the future? And here we're talking about level four and five. 
precept has shown that design-wise, we actually um, very much embraces already. The car had um, not too subtle, very clear indication on its roof that this is a car that is prepared and ready to have full autonomous drive capability. Um, and and it, it doesn't hide it. It makes a, a statement out of it and in a way makes a very, very modern futuristic statement out of it. When it comes to how the interior of the car would be adapted to it, well, really, us having implemented your digital life so naturally within the car, having put such a highly connected, open for communication, for entertainment um, interior, there is already in each and every Polestar a big, big gate and open portal for you to embrace and entertain in a fully autonomous uh, drive. So that, in a way, comes naturally uh, with the brand promise of a highly digitally connected Polestar. A lot is happening in battery research nowadays, which is also in line with electrification. This is the classic, obvious way to improve EVs. But there are also companies that are doing something more unusual. A good example of this is Electrion, which is setting up electric road systems and developing dynamic wireless power transfer technology. By the way, one of the pilot projects is also currently running in Sweden. Simply put, one could have a much smaller battery and charge it while driving. Has Polestar looked at this technology? And if so, and we think a step further, is there a possibility that compatibility for this technology will be built in to use it later in the future? What matters at the moment is really not displaying and looking and dreaming of all the possible solutions. And they're great, great thinkable solutions, but we have to embrace and drive now electromobility by making a clear commitment that this is now what for the customer is the right solution. Therefore, technology we implement into our cars, what the whole car industry now is rolling out is the solution for the next step to go from combustion engine to electric cars. How the electric drivetrain in the car over the next 50 or 100 years will be propelled? Will it always be lithium batteries? Will it be at some point hydrogen power or whatever other way of feeding this electric drive chain can be well the future will tell and that we cannot foresee what we can foresee now is that for the next decade there is no more practical applicable affordable solution as a better technology that we put now into our cars and i think the customers the consumers need a certain reassurance and clarity in that that is now the next step. So therefore, as fancy and as great different ways could be exploring, in order to drive progress right now, we need to give a very clear commitment and message to the customer. And that is what we do with our um, technology that we put into our cars. That is what we believe um, is the right step for the next future. What does the future market positioning of Polestar look like? Will there always be only cars from the premium segment? Or are there plans for a more affordable model? Like, for example, Tesla did it with a Model 3? Polestar is a premium brand. Our product portfolio will 
B premium cars. Polestar 2 is our entry model, our Tesla Model 3 competitor, and it is a premium middle-sized 40 to 60,000 euro um, car, which defines our entry, which defines our fundament where we stand on. Let's now move on to the topic of sustainability. The supply chains in automotive business are very complex, but you place great value on transparency and sustainability. In a highly complex world, how can you ensure that Polestar produces as sustainably as possible? It is highly complex, as you say, and for that reason it takes the effort and, and the attention to really go into the details in analysis and going to the origin and, and really making sure that we understand this. We are putting a big effort into that. We will, in the development of our future cars, go and really make a complete analysis of the, of the footprint and implement materials in the development process into our cars that have much lesser CO2 footprint, have much lesser use of virgin oil, drive the use of recycled materials, drive the use of natural materials, materials that have all the prerequisites for, for circularity. And of course, with the contracts to our suppliers, push very, very hard for the traceability of the products, make very clear contractual um, um, commitments from the suppliers in terms of where the material comes or that not child labor is involved, etc., etc. We cannot just simply rely on contracts. We have to control it as well. We do that. We go um, regularly and check the situation. We have as well top modern technology blockchain that helps us to really make that traceability um, controllable. So there are lots of different elements that we implement in order to fulfill this promise and to really uh, live up to the standards that we, uh, that we have set there. Of course, sustainability in the smallest detail also means that you can rely on your suppliers, on your cooperation partners, and that they should have the same values and the same integration of sustainability in their company DNA as Polster itself. With BComp as a supplier of sustainable materials, you could certainly not have found a better partner. How did this cooperation first start? How did you find each other? Well, indeed, um, working with composite materials And with the Polestar 1 being a car that was a full carbon fiber body and a heavy, has a heavy use of a composite material, we, we came across the alternative um, using natural fibers as a composite material. Um, and Becomp was a company that really uh, stood out there with an incredible innovative drive with um, good understanding, very, very good expertise uh, when it comes to the automotive application of it. Yeah, a good chemistry between the partners. So we felt very much encouraged to um, explore this for the future. Together, doing a, um, a showcase with the Poster Precept was um, a very, very great journey and experience. And of course, to go now and research and implement the use of natural fibers in a real industrial application in the future, you need the right 
drive and the right partner for it. And uh, Becom seems to be and is a, a really good um, partner to, to do so. That's where cooperation and partnerships are the way to drive innovation in the future. That's very much a learning that we did at Polestar from the very beginning, that it is a great, great way of getting something new, creating something new with uh, combining the knowledge and the expertise of two partners. Sometimes they seem to be very alike. Sometimes they might be very different. And uh, especially because of that, something really new comes out. So that's how from very um, obvious corporations with and use of, of Brembo or, or Erlins to um, having a brand friendship with Cake or doing a, an industry first um, thing together with uh, Google. These are all very exciting um, corporations and bring indeed really good stuff out for our customers. So it's a, it's a big part of our of our company culture and working together with Bcomp is totally in, in, in that kind of line of uh, embracing cooperation. This summer is also very important for Polster as you're expanding extremely fast in the retail sector. According to the latest announcement on social media channels, by the end of the year, about 50 new Polster locations will open all over the world. What is your strategic direction there? Yeah, the retail part is um, obviously another very important leg that that post are standing on we were very clear about how to go to the customer direct being a car company that directly sells to the customer embracing very much the e-commerce the digital journey but at the same time acknowledging that the car is a <laughs> is quite a quite a heavy investment big object which obviously would love to as well before the purchase have a physical experience meet the brand, get um, the chance to test drive and have as well a good talk to somebody who has good knowledge, understands the product and your needs and um, gives you advice. Not a place where they try to sell you something, sell you something that you might not exactly have wanted, but because, okay, it's a bargain, you take it. So it's, it's a very different uh, place this um, retail experience that we offer to the traditional dealership in a way. So in the town center where you might anyway be on a Saturday going shopping with your family, you will meet um, the poster space displaying poster one, poster two, but not the full color range or different versions. It's just that one exhibit there and they will have um, cars standing close by which you could take um, for, for a test drive. There's the opportunity to look at all the materials, configure your car and really real life see what, what the materials are like. And you will meet a poster specialist who um, is acknowledged to, to kind of answer questions that you might have or some guidance that you might want. But these people are not commission-based. They do not get paid for a sold car regardless whether you would make a purchase decision there at the space if you ever have been there or if you've never been there and if you kind of do your uh, whole journey online in, in the digital space. These people working in the poster space are not commission-based. They get their share for each and every poster 
um, being sold within that region. So with that way, um, the retail experience and the e-commerce is kind of in harmony, not in concurrence, but they add to each other then in, in, in synergy. And we think that that combination is perfect for the customer getting the goodies of both worlds, but of course as well for 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 the uh, for our commercial partners there, the people who run the poster space and really add um, a, a new great uh, business model to their um, to their business. You are a designer by passion and by educational background and now CEO of an automotive brand. Does your background lead to a different approach when developing a new car? Where are the benefits and where do you have the most to learn in your new role? Gaining experience over years as a car designer is of course is a great thing because um, you just simply went through things, made mistakes, learned from that and At the end of the day, with all the experience, you're that much clearer in your vision, faster in execution, because you just simply learned how to get, go from A to Z and be really very, very efficient in, in, in reaching a goal. Working with design, being so heavily as a CEO of Polestar, involved in all the business behind it, of course, it's so much more, again, clear what the vision is and you do not you do not search too much anymore left and right you go very straightforward to um what you what you see is what what the company needs so that clarity in vision in what the direction is and where we have to go now of course is an incredible helpful element in order to gain speed and precision in all the decisions that are needed in the design process. I think that's where people sometimes are even irritated and shocked about, you know, that that, that things go that fast and that we that we do not spend months after months in exploring A, B and C, but that we make very clearly a decision for that one direction that we want to go and go for it. Thomas, as CEO of Polestar, you probably don't have much time for creative sketching and spontaneous design projects. But are there days when you still have to work on a creative project, just like in the old days? Or do you even regularly take time for it? Could you share with us what your professional daily routine looks like? Well, there's still enough boring meetings where I can scribble around and kind of try to keep my... <laughs> My my attention by scribbling away, and um, that is indeed still my only way of um, expressing my creativeness. Yeah, no, sitting down and just doing some drawings is not happening anymore. But um, let's face it, even as a head of design at Polestar, uh, sorry, at Volvo, um, that was already not my my main focus or my main business. Creativeness is something that I can live and explore when I'm together uh, with the designers at the car, at the model, discussing solutions. And um, that is where I still take the liberty to spend, you know, the one day in a week to be in a design studio and work together with them. And now a question regarding your leadership style. Could you please describe your leadership style in only three words? 
Yeah, three words would be uh, my leadership style is uh, non-textbook. It's definitely not um, what you would read how your leadership should be. It is um, impulsive, it is emotional, it is uh, impatient. And I think the only excuse and what makes people <laughs> accept that and kind of, at least I hope so, still like working with me is that it's full of passion and um, kind of give an example how you really give everything and 100% of your energy um, into that project and um, that is what hopefully is inspiring and you know pulls the team together. Regarding your role as CEO are your decisions more gut-based or data-based? Or maybe it is easier to answer honestly if I ask it more politically correct. How important is your own intuition in business? It's um, definitely a very important thing, the intuition. And it is a way of working that definitely has been established uh, for me in, in, in the design world. where And this is opposite to what a lot of people think um, it being all creation and just you know letting your fantasy go it is the interaction between the hand doing a sketch you following your intuition and the brain immediately analyzing thinking about it and kind of being in that dialogue between your brain and your and, and your hand and that kind of dialogue between intuition things that happen out of a gut feeling out of sometimes as well out of um, accident and you kind of feeding back with your brain analyzing correcting and stuff that is very much what fashionably today is called design thinking and um, but what I think really makes great leadership um, making making the best out of both worlds um, Having that experience, that intuition, that kind of big gut feeling that is backed up, questioned and corrected by your brain going through, you know, the data, the analytics and the logic behind it. So that combination is really what uh, I think any great leadership and, and, and bringing a company forward with with new ideas um, it's it's you know we are not leading here a, 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 a state enterprise or a bank this is a company that is creating um, exciting products that is what people uh, pay for that we have um, we have great creations uh, and innovations coming up uh, for, for them How people handle failures says a lot about their personality. How do you handle failures? Your own failures and failures of the others? <laughs> Failure is, is something that happens. Um, it happens, <laughs> whatever you do, failure happens. The question is, how quickly do you correct? How fast are you moving? How, how do you work with it? And um, I think to have a really good understanding of um, failure as part of the process um, helps people being afraid of failure is slowing everything down and um, really not not bringing you anywhere I rather have to encourage people to um, you know not be afraid of the occasional failure because um, if you're 
if you're afraid of that, then you might as well not take the nine good decisions uh, that that are part of the one not good decision. So I'd rather have somebody making 10 decisions in a good speed and having one wrong one amongst that than uh, n never doing any decision because being afraid of a failure. No, that's, uh, that's very much um, something that you have to correct in people's thinking that uh, failure is is fatal at something that you should try to avoid. It's, it's unavoidable. Thomas, what would you have advised young Thomas from back then, from the time, let's say, of your university days? Study something decent. Don't become a designer. <laughs> no. <laughs> the one thing that is really um, clear if you, if you do something like what I did, study um, car design, something I did not understand when I did it, but you have no freedom of choice of where you want to live. You have to live where you have the great work. So I was always a victim of that and always had to live somewhere where I just simply had great jobs. Now, that is not always that bad. I mean, I enjoyed the time in the Czech Republic, certainly. I'm enjoying my time here in Sweden. Um, but it is limited. The choice of where, where you can go is limited. So that's something that... Um, I should have considered doing what I do, what I did. Having said that, would I have changed my decision? Most probably not. But I certainly was not aware of that. Um, yep, so that's something. Um, and the other thing is which I had to learn the hard way, clearly. And that is the great thing about, you know, gathering experience. And that is really where I think the world underestimates the value of experience. You just become so much more... Uh, familiar and aware of that it it is uh, going up and down and if you feel that something is really not not clear and not working and you have no idea how to solve it you cannot force it you just at some point have to accept that today it is like that <laughs> and just simply wait and maybe in tomorrow in a week or in a month um, you suddenly understand and you have a solution so don't Don't go mad just because today you don't know. Which advice was most memorable and most important for you so far? Advice most memorable. Two things I remember. One is from Hartmut Varkus, the godfather of Audi design, who kind of um, was there, the great bossman. I was a young trainee and student. And he, at some point, he said this very intense. One thing you should always remember, if you're up there, be aware, the next thing is it goes down. But when you're down there, always be aware, the next thing is it will go up again. And that's so good because it's exactly what is in life. It's just an up and down. And you always should remember from each point we are, the, the perspective of it going up or it going down. That's one thing. The other thing is I just had um, accepted the job offer to come to Volvo and do um, Volvo design in 2012. And I met at um, the car fair, I think it was Frankfurt, I bumped into Harm Lagai, the former Porsche design boss, really iconic figure. He had read in the paper about me going to Volvo and he pulled me aside and said, look, Thomas, 
And we really didn't know each other that well, but he, out of the blue, he came up to me and said, one thing you should really, really do and be aware of it and don't forget, whatever changes you want to do, do them quickly, do them in the first year. It is so much easier for you to do radical, strong changes when you're fresh and young in your job. It becomes so difficult and almost impossible years later when you when you're established in a company to do any changes anymore. And it was absolutely spot on right. It's really an experience that I have to say, yeah, um, you have to come analyze the situation and do quickly the changes. It was, it's a cumbersome thing. It becomes so uh, almost impossible energy absorbing, trying to do bigger radical changes uh, years later. And which book are you reading these days? And another question which goes in the same direction, which non-technical books do you usually read? All right, the book I'm reading at the moment uh, that might be a surprise is it a children's book or it's a boy at the back of the class. Um, I'm reading it because I, I, I learned now that I really have to check out the books before I read them to my children um, because too many of them are horrible and stressful and I just want to check if it's, if it's bearable and the story has, has, has a decent you know, ending. So I'm, I'm pre-reading that, enjoying that. And I will read it to my, my, my boy. It's, it's a good book. Um, yeah, I mean, I read a lot of fiction and I read a lot of non-technical. I hardly read technical books. Um, I read fiction and um, very much mainstream stuff and I enjoy it. Um, last Last book, Normal People from Sally Rooney. Um, yeah, was a great book and um, very, very healthy to, you know, get a fresh breeze into your brain. Thomas, who inspires you when it comes to leadership, business, self-development? Do you have a role model? Has anyone in your career been significant, inspiring or guiding? What inspired me over all this uh, you know, years that I work now in the car industry is definitely the luxury that I had of moving around, not being all my life in one place or one company, but really even even in the Volkswagen times where I was 20 years before, even there I have been in different brands. I was working in Czech Republic with a branch Godard, which was super great to experience. I have been with premium brands. So I started Audi. I've been doing products for luxury brands like Bugatti. This incredible variety from Skoda to Bugatti. And then going to different countries, having been in Czech Republic, working now for already eight years um, in Sweden is, of course, a great learning. You just become so much more open and flexible in your thinking and understanding uh, different cultures. And that, I think, is, is, is great learning. Now, having started at Volvo at a point when this company was very much in, in a historical moment where they had to kind of make a big shift and in a way really fight for survival, that type of, you could say, going full risk, developing a new premium architecture um, together with um, people who were here at that, that point in time, working with Peter Mertens on this on this bar one was definitely a, a, a very crucial moment taking that full risk, um, knowing what 
all depends on it. And of course, six, seven years later, thinking, wow, <laughs> it actually um, worked. It actually repositioned this brand, was a commercial success, and it's it's super um, the outcome. That gives, in a way, a bit of confidence and, and trust in you know, going for the next new thing, which is Polestar and really um, daring to go for that adventure of building a new electric car brand. That's a journey which is super exciting and amazing. And of course, um, having support from the people who trust in you, believe in you, um, like Hawkeye and Samuelson, who definitely gave that opportunity to me. You need this network, this this base around you in order to, to, to make it possible to be successful. You have to have really, you cannot fight against the tide and the wind. You have to have that support pushing you from the back in order to, um, to be a winning team. So I'm very grateful and happy to be in that, uh, in that group, in that environment that makes it possible. And I think each and every uh, member and, and a colleague here at Polestar is excited about that opportunity and uh, gives um, each and every bit to, to make it work and to, um, to show that this will be a successful journey. We also wish that Polestar has a successful journey ahead of you, that you as a team manage to keep the magic of not knowing every single detail as you go along the way. This gives you lightness and courage. Both are needed to lift this leading element that you mentioned. Thomas, very special thanks to you for your honesty, directness, for thoughtful responses. Thanks also for answering the personality-related questions so brilliantly. These are not exactly the usual standard questions you are used to. The impulsive, emotional and impassioned personality comes across in an excellent balance so that one can really feel the enthusiasm and passion for what you do. Thank you for taking the time for our Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Thanks, Ludmilla. Great. And uh, thanks for being being so patient with all my answers and uh, great questions. Thank you so much. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode. <music>